MP, it's our final event of the year. Oh, it's all a bit sad, Bretto, but after four big events for 2018, we are going out with a bang with one more wellness base camp, and the location for this one is regional Victoria, the great town of Bendigo awaits. Oh, and how's this for a lineup, MP? Bendigo will be rocking with the rock star of wellness, Damien Christoph. The art of self-love angel herself, Kim Morrison, hits the stage. As will the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe. And I'll tell you what, Steph's presentation at the summit on fasting was a showstopper. You'll be there, Bretto. I'll be there too. And Wendy Stewart from Wendy's Way will be there to share her inspirational story, which really did go off at the Wellness Summit earlier this year. It's Saturday, October 27 at the beautiful All Seasons Resort Hotel in Bendigo and tickets are selling fast. Two for one tickets for this one day of inspiration, information and empowerment are available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's right, folks. Get your two for one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com before they run out and then the price goes up. Finish your year of wellness in style at the Wellness Base Camp in Bendigo, Saturday, October 27. Tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. wellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives it's time to kick your shoes off put your heels up and listen to how to live your best barefoot lifestyle with your host the barefoot podiatrist paul thompson Hello and welcome back to the Barefoot Movement Podcast. I am your host, Paul Thompson, and today I have with me a very special guest who came onto my radar a few years ago after sending me some of her research, um, which I found very interesting and have been really excited to talk to ever since. So I'd like to make a very warm welcome all the way from America, Dr. Tracy Alloway. Welcome. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm really excited about being on this podcast with you, and I've really been enjoying following your posts on Instagram about Barefoot as well. Awesome. I think it's going to be a really exciting uh, chat. I think some of my listeners and followers are going to be really excited about some of your research. But before we get into uh, chatting about that research that that you sent me a few years ago, um, I'd like it if you could just introduce yourself. Um, You've got quite the, the list of credentials. Um, if you don't mind giving yourself a little bit of a a plug, letting us know all the cool things that you've been up to and um, <laughs> and what you yeah do for work and what you specialize in, please. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a positive psychologist. I have my PhD in psychology, and my area of research interest is in something called working memory. And I like to describe working memory a bit like our active memory, the memory that we use when we are having a conversation with someone new and we want to join together something that we have already stored in a long-term memory with something that we're listening to in the conversation. So I've had a chance to research this topic for some years and published, um, you know, over 100 research articles on this topic, looking at a whole range of topics, everything from ADHD and dyslexia to barefoot running, which we'll be talking a bit more about today. And I just find it really fascinating. And, and what I love about this topic is every time I, I speak to a new audience, invariably someone else will say, hey, have you looked at working memory and X? And that kind of gets my wheels you know, turning and it you know, sets me on a, a research project. So I always enjoy these types of activities because it gets, it gets me engaged with what people are interested in as well. Oh, well let's see if we can uh, get some more research happening eh? out of this chat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you... Um... 
You're also the author of, is it eight books now? Yes, that's right. I have uh, eight books and um, looking at working memory again in different topics. One of the ones that may be of interest to your reader is the book called Working Memory Advantage, where we have a whole chapter looking at working memory and sports, our research on working memory and barefoot running, and even natural movement, the whole idea of you know getting out of the gym and climbing a tree and what that's actually doing to our brain, not just our body. Mm, I'm going to have to uh, get a copy of that, and I'm sure lots of people listening should also jump onto that one because it's a really exciting area, I think, that needs to be explored um, more, the link between like movement and brain activity or, or working memory. So your research has also been across lots of media outlets such as what Forbes, Good Morning Australia, uh, Good Morning America, The Today Show, BBC. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, you're becoming quite the celebrity, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've also been interviewed by the um, ABC, the Australian Broadcasting uh, Network. But that, that, again, looking at my work primarily in the context of working memory and education. But um, yeah, it's, it's great to get a chance. Every time I get a chance to share my research, it's always exciting for me. Yeah, and exciting for people listening. Um, so, can you tell us how <laughs> you came to study working memory? What, what sort of led you down this path? And um, I know there's a, a story I've heard you talked about before i think it was young josh was it can you tell us a little bit about oh yeah um, about that story and just how i guess how your yeah, working memory became like something that you or like the area that you specialize in yeah sure it was like you mentioned a young boy named josh and at the time i came to meet him he was four years old and was living in the state of california and i was um i was in the uk at the time and his mom had reached out to me because Josh receives funding from the state of California for his learning needs. And they do regular assessments, and they found that on a recent assessment of Josh that his IQ score was average. And so they told his mom that Josh would no longer qualify for additional state funding because his IQ was average, and that meant that his learning would be in the average range as well. So that's when his mom began to take a closer look at the report that they had done and found a section on working memory. And when she Googled working memory, she came across my research. And so she reached out to me and she asked if I would be willing to assess Josh and look at his working memory. And when I did, I found that Josh's working memory was so poor that he was in the bottom third percentile for his age. So if you imagine a line of 104-year-olds, Josh is at the very end of that line. Mm. So I wrote my report detailing, you know, my research on linking the importance of working memory to education and the likely impact it could have if someone has poor working memory. And so um, Josh's mom was a great advocate for him. She took his case forward to a disability tribunal in the state of California where she wanted to petition to for him to retain his state funding for learning. And so then she asked if I would be willing to testify via video link about my research on working memory and we agreed and and set everything up. The day before I was due to testify, Paul, she emailed me and she said, you know, the judge has looked over my report, the other psychology reports, and has made a decision. The judge ruled that even though Josh's IQ was average, because his working memory was below average and so far below, he deserved to receive continued learning support. Mm. And for me as a psychologist, it was so exciting because that was the first time in a legal case that the judge was recognizing the value of working memory in education. And I'm still in touch with Josh's mom on social media. In fact, she, she reached out to me earlier this year, sent me a new picture of Josh and said that 
he's doing so well in school. And she says that that moment in his academic career was a turning point. And because he was able to receive continued funding, he's continuing to be successful in the school system. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so, and so for me, that was exciting. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times in the school system, they they place such a premium on your IQ score, um, mm-hmm. you know, your overall IQ score, and almost miss um, your working memory, which is this ability to actually work with information in the classroom. And so it really just shifted my perspective to begin to think about how working memory could be so critical in how we learn and how we can support learners better uh, by supporting their working memory. Yeah, it's great. I think it's it's amazing that it's being recognized even more so now and then it also gives um, people like yourself more motivation to keep studying this and, and really pushing to, to help more people amongst all different walks of life. You know, clearly from your research, you cover lots of different areas, which is, is just fantastic to see all the different links that your research mm-hmm. is starting to to show us. So just can you just recap again? I know you mentioned it in the intro, but just to really break it down mm-hmm. super simply, just for those who mm-hmm. haven't quite got their head around what working memory is, at the most simple level, what is working memory? Sure. So let's think of a line in your brain where you're getting, you're hearing something new and you want to get it inside your memory system. Step one or you know, the first stop is what's called your short-term memory, which is I've just heard this. So I've just heard someone's name, Paul. Mm-hmm. The second stop is your working memory. And that's where you actually have to synthesize the information so that you can remember it as soon as I walk away. So I may say, oh, Paul, I have another friend called Paul. He also um, you know, does a lot of work on barefoot. And, mm-hmm. you, and I'm synthesizing that information. I'm joining that together. That's my working memory. That I'm working with information. And step three and the final step is what we call long-term memory, or I sometimes call it your library. It's where you store all these facts and uh, you, you pull it out when you need those facts. Mm-hmm. So it's your working memory that's involved in working with something new that you hear in order for you to remember it. Yeah, great. So is working memory something that gets tested? And obviously, I mean, I'm not sure if you know whether it does in Australia or not. I'm not too sure, but in America, is this something that gets tested at all on people, like whether at schools or how do we know what our working memory is, like how, how well it's working? And that is such a great question, you know, especially as, as we get older, the first concern is, am I losing my memory? And so I had published um, two tests with Pearson Assessment, the uh, education publisher, and it, it is meant to measure our working memory. But a simple test that you can do or your, your listeners can do too is ask someone to give you a sequence of numbers and see if you can remember them in backwards order. So oh. if I say seven, five, three, can you remember that in backwards order? That would be uh, three, five, seven. I think it's five, seven. <laughs> yeah. um, but <laughs> if you can remember three numbers, then I found in my own research, so we've done this test of thousands of people, and we found that, you know, the average seven or eight-year-old can remember three numbers backwards. So, well done, you're like an average seven-year-old. Yes. Um, most adults <laughs> would be able to remember, <laughs> would be able to remember about four or five numbers, depending on, on your age, uh, but in backwards order. So, that's a great uh, quick test that you can do. Um, I do know that it is tested in Australia, and actually, I work with quite a lot of schools in Australia as well as in the U.S. and and around the world 
but they've used my working memory assessment that was published with Pearson. Mm-hmm. And um, they they um, also use my books and so on in a in a school setting when they want to support learning uh, learning needs of their students. Oh, fantastic! So I was recently watching your TEDx talk uh, as well, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic talk. Great job! And one thing Thank that um, I really liked that you highlighted in that was the spotlight brain versus the floodlight. Brain. I found that mm-hmm. um, quite interesting. Can you just give us a little bit of explanation around um, what this is as well, please? Sure. So in my um, TEDx, I talked about how we used to have a floodlight brain where we'd have to be attentive to a whole host of information. And so our memory would have to kind of, you know, like imagine a floodlight. You have this big field of information and you have to attend to all of that in order to remember it. And now with, um, I was talking about this in the context of social media and how our brain is changing and we know that our memory is changing as well. But it could be viewed as a positive because now we have a spotlight brain. And so imagine that spotlight. So instead of having to focus on 10 things, I just have to prioritize. What is the two top things that I need to focus on right now? And we use a working memory to also ignore the distracting information. I can say, well, the other six things, I, they're a bit distracting. They're not of importance to me right now. I can ignore them. And then the remaining two items, maybe they're important. I'll kind of keep it in a holding zone right now. So that's the role of working memory. And we see that social media, if you think of your news feed, it encourages that kind of cognitive thinking, that spotlight brain. Because if you, your news feed is constant, you have to think, Okay, here's a piece of information. Susie just posted she's having a barbecue this weekend. Is this important to me? No, I've made other plans. Okay, ignore. Next. Oh, Mary just posted a time change for the event I am going to. That's what I'm going to prioritize. And so that uh, we found that in our own research when we were looking at adolescents and uh, young adults that that kind of focus of social media can actually help almost give your brain and your working memory a mini workout. And we found that individuals who had used social media for longer uh, were better at focusing and using this um, spotlight brain rather than a floodlight brain. They were able to detect what was important to them. Mm, awesome. So if you haven't already, um, I'd encourage you to uh, jump on to um, – it's on Tracy's website. So – uh, www.tracyalloway.com which I'll put a link um, in the notes of the podcast um, there is a, a link on there to the TEDx talk and yeah I highly recommend um, checking uh, Tracy's uh, website out and checking that TEDx talk out because there's some really cool information that um, is really relevant to well basically all of us because we all need working memory and we all are pretty much on social media these days. So there's some really cool stuff that you can um, go and explore on there as well. So like I said, a couple of years ago, um, you'd sent me one of the, or the research article around barefoot running and, and working memory. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was kind of trying to get my head around what this all meant and I had lots of questions for you. <laughs> and a few years later, here we are finally, finally chatting. So I'm really excited that... First, what, what what sort of led you down a barefoot journey? Was this something like so um, the research was obviously around, around linking um, being barefoot and working memory, which we'll go through in a second, but what did you have? Were you barefoot before? Was that something you were doing um, for a physical reason? Did you know already that it 
helped Brian? Yeah, that's a great question. So I used to live in um, the UK, in Scotland in particular, and I loved running. And um, the Highlands were not so far, and it was just beautiful to run there. And, you know, you're you're kind of bundled up. I don't know if you if your listeners might know a little bit about Scottish weather, but it's often very rainy and gray. So anytime there's any sort of speck of sunlight, most people are ready to enjoy it. And, you know, they're out having their picnic blankets. And I loved being able to run without my shoes. And um, the grass felt great. But I did notice that because of where I was running, if I wasn't paying attention to where I was landing my foot, I would end up stepping in something warm and squishy. Mm, <laughs> and <yeah>. so <laughs> it, it, I, <laughs> I noticed that at the end of my run, I was more mentally alert. You know, usually when you, you run, you kind of want to tune out and you want to, you know, uh, not think about anything. But I actually found that I was more cognitively engaged. And it, it made me start thinking maybe this additional attention had some potential benefits for my brain as well. And you're right, at the time, there was a growing body of research looking at the physical benefits of running barefoot. So mm-hmm. there's some researchers that were looking at how it could be better uh, in alleviating knee pain, lower back pain, and so on, just because of the, the way people tend to stride mm-hmm. and walk when you walk barefoot rather than with shoes. And so I started looking at that, but there was nothing actually looking at barefoot running and the brain and how it may improve the cognitive aspect and, and working memory part. So when I came to the U.S. and uh, I worked together with a colleague at the Brooks College of Health, and um, he's an exercise uh, science expert. So we had our exercise science majors who were used to running on a regular basis. We hooked them up with heart rate monitors. We measured their pace, uh, you know, how fast they were running. Look at all of these aspects to see if this could be influencing, you know, their cognitive performance. And then... What we found was really interesting. We had them run in four different ways, and they did all four of these ways. The first was that they ran barefoot around a track, but we added something where we put these, uh, like poker chips, these, you know, uh, chips on the ground, and that was their safe zone for their feet. Imagine if you're either walking or running barefoot, you may notice that you're paying more attention so that you don't step on a, a twig or a little pebble or something. Yeah. And so we wanted those poker chips on the track because, you know, the track is relatively smooth and you don't have uh, rocks and pebbles and sticks and so on. But we still wanted to make them be attentive to the ground. And so the poker chips was our way of experimentally controlling from that by saying, hey, when you're running, this is your safe zone. So they ran barefoot with the poker chips on the ground. They ran with shoes with the poker chips on the ground. They ran barefoot, no chips, with shoes, no chips. And we found that it was a combination of three things that led to a working memory improvement of over 20%. The first thing that had to be present was was that they had to run for a set number of times. So they had to run for 16, that's one six minutes. And this was important because when we measured their working memory after eight minutes, there was no significant improvement. Mm. So there's a certain level of activity, physical activity that we need, and possibly because of oxygen flow to what's called the prefrontal cortex, the front of the brain, that's where working memory is. And it could be that we need a certain amount of time to run in order for oxygen to get to make it up there to see benefit. So time was one factor. The second thing that we needed to have in place was that working memory only improved when the runners were running on the poker chips and we measured, you know, their accuracy and so on as well. But in other words, if they were running barefoot without the chips on the ground, it did not improve their working memory. And we think a lot of this had to do with attention. 
if you're not actually paying attention to the ground, then there's no real benefit for working memory. Your working memory doesn't have to engage. And so there's no reason that you'd see any improvements. And the third and the final thing that we found was that we only saw this improvement when the runners were barefoot. So even when they ran with shoes for 16 minutes with the poker tips, we didn't have that benefit to working memory. It was only when all three were uh, in concert, were working together. And so, you know, we, we, I tell my students in class, you know, if you have a, a quick, you know, if you're an exam and you need a quick boost, <laughs> we have a beautiful trail on campus. And if, you know, your listeners are, are near a beach or near a, a park or a field, take your shoes off, go for a quick jog. 16 minutes is all it takes, and you can improve your working memory by 16%. Uh, excuse me, over 20%. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, and it kind of makes it sense. Is. It really is. <laughs> like, it does make sense, um, I guess, like when you break it down, that yeah, if you're paying more attention, then obviously your brain, you're using your brain more rather than just switching it off and becoming a bit complacent with what you're doing. But it's really cool to actually see that there is a link there um, with scientific research. I think it's uh, really cool to, to see or to show just the connection throughout the whole body that, you know, the brain and the feet, which are obviously at the furthest ends of the spectrum from the body, um, are still so connected. I think a lot of us tend to forget that we're one body and we start to just look at parts. So yeah. For me, I think it's really cool yeah. um, to sort of show that that link. So you mentioned um, 16 minutes was the the time we need to be running for. Does that then mean the the further, or if we run for longer, would that potentially improve that working memory more, do you think, or...? What do you think? Yeah, and that's a great question, uh, Paul. I don't, I don't know. Uh, at some point, you may also experience law of um, diminishing returns. So you yeah. may have exhaustion and other factors that can negatively impact working memory. So um, mm. that's a great question. I, I'm not sure what that, you know, that point is uh, where we we stop seeing benefits. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. That's a great research question for sure. Um, All right. And, so and, sixteen you know, minutes. To is... I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where we need to be aiming for at this stage. <laughs> that's what the science shows us. Yeah. Before definitely. we start losing that memory again. So then obviously working memory isn't something that we train once and it's improved. Like I can't imagine it would then just stay at that twenty percent increase forever. There's obviously gonna be some diminish yeah. diminishment over time as well. So how often do you think we need yeah. to be um, doing these 16 minutes runs, is this something we do daily, weekly? Uh, what do you think we should be doing? Um, I, you know, what we, we didn't get a chance to look to see how long those memory benefits would be maintained. And that's also another great research question. Um, so in other words, like you said, would we still see that same 20% increase two hours later, uh, 12 hours later, or, you know, at what point does it start uh, going back to the baseline? Mm. Um, I don't know, and I also don't know if there's a cumulative effect. So let's say if you have someone who runs, reg you know, runs barefoot regularly over, say, five weeks, and we see uh, uh, an improvement to working memory that is maintained over time. Now, those are mm. great research questions. I think the, you know, the research is so new on this topic that it's it's wide open right now. Um, certainly from a physical or physiological perspective, there's, there are more studies looking at how barefoot running can, over a sustained period of time, as in, you know, five, six weeks, has led to um, a decrease in running time. So in other words, you become more efficient. 
because of how you look because of your oxygen consumption, the VO2. Uh, Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that that may also be related to memory functioning and that could lead to cognitive functioning as well. But it, at this point, we don't know the answer. Yeah, okay. Now, not everyone enjoys running or can run. So, <laughs> and I know you haven't done, done research on this, but just in your um, like opinion, I guess, do you think we could potentially experience similar results to our working memory from just barefoot walking or performing other barefoot activities potentially? I do know. I mentioned a study first and then respond to your comment about barefoot walking. But um, another piece of research that I published that I mentioned briefly was this idea of natural movement where people were doing bear crawls, um, you know, kind of climbing, and they were barefoot in all of these activities. And these were adults up to 50-plus years of age. They had mm. never done these activities before. And we found after a couple hours of doing that, that working memory also significantly improved. So that would be my suggestion that if, you know, you find yourself at a playground, maybe watching your kids, instead of looking at your phone, take your shoes off and try to, you know, walk around a little bit, balance on, you know, usually they have little sand pits or something you can balance around, um, do a couple of bear crawls, barefoot. So simple activities that we used to do when we we're kids, we can still integrate in our, in our adult life. And the reason I think that that was so important in improving working memory was because there were two things that were happening. First, those kinds of natural movements, bear crawling, climbing a tree, balancing, and so on, uh, allows you to be something that's called proprioceptively aware. And proprioception refers to your body's awareness, your, excuse me, your awareness of your body's position in space. So if you're climbing a tree, for example, you're aware that, hey, my left hand is here. I need to reach my right hand a little higher. I need to move my left leg here and so on. That's proprioception. And we compared whether it was just proprioception alone that can improve working memory by having a control group who did yoga. And the yoga that they were doing was a similar amount of time. And it was more of a a breath stationary based yoga, but they still had to pay attention to where their body was. So the yoga instructor would would draw their attention to where their foot placement was, where their spine was, those kinds of things. So still that proprioceptive piece. Mm-hmm. And we found that proprioception alone is not enough to give you working memory benefits. And that's why the second part is really important. You need to be dynamic. You need to have that movement. And all our participants in the natural movement group were actually moving. They were, as I said, they were crawling, they were balancing, they were engaged in some kind of moving, not, 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 not as strenuous as running necessarily, but still being dynamic. Yeah. And it's important that if your listeners would like to see working memory benefits and they're going to be in a playground, to make sure that they're not just standing in one place barefoot, but they actually need to have some dynamic movement. And so that leads us to this point about barefoot walking. I think two things uh, we could integrate in order to potentially see working memory benefits. And the first is that uh, as you're walking barefoot, to be attentive to the ground. And this goes back to the idea of the poker chip mm. in our barefoot running study. So if your if your listeners are walking but saying, hey, I'm I'm going to step on you know right next to this flower here, and I'm going to step to the right of this uh, you know this object on the ground here, that's a way to create a reason to be attentive to the ground, and I think that will give them that working memory benefit. And the second is I think that you know as long as they're being dynamic and moving, as I said, rather than stationary, we could potentially also see working memory benefits from uh, barefoot walking as well. Yeah, great. That's some great advice. The takeaway there is. Mm-hmm. Get on the ground and crawl. Um, I guess even things like 
just trying to balance potentially, like some little balance beams in a park or I'm assuming that sort of stuff would also um, create more attention or attentive um, working memory um, to, to get some benefits as well. So I'm, I go barefoot as much as I can um, where possible, but mm-hmm. I like we still obviously live in the modern world and there's times and places that we do need to wear mm-hmm. shoes. Mm-hmm. So I generally opt for sure. um, barefoot or, or minimalist shoes. Do you think there may mm-hmm. be similar effects to being in barefoot shoes as to being like completely barefoot? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you lose a bit of the sensation uh, from the ground sure. when you have any sort of layer under your foot. So yeah, do you think there may be some benefits there or is it the same sort of thing with um, the barefoot walking that it's more about being attentive to to where you're stepping and what you're feeling um, on the ground rather than just going for that run and, and sort of it happening a bit more naturally? I think, again, the attention piece is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, there's, there's not research looking at the shoe, you know, barefoot shoes and so on, but I would look back again at the barefoot running study where we found that even running barefoot but without the attention, you know, without them having to focus yeah. specifically intentionally on the poker chips, there was no improvement to working memory. Um, and, and I think there's definitely something to the combination of being barefoot and the attention because uh, also when our runners were running with shoes but still paying attention, we didn't see those benefits. So there's something about that combination. It's possible minimal shoes may still offer that um, sensory feedback that you know, kind of engaging our working memory as well as us needing to pay a bit more attention. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great research question as well. Because I know from wearing barefoot shoes, there's definitely more, you need to be a little bit more attentive anyway, and you generally are yeah. because you don't have that yeah. layer of cushioning mm-hmm. and you do have to react to uh, different sort of undulations in the ground. So I guess there's a little bit of a benefit yeah. there anyway, but it sounds like with, with all of this to do with movement and being barefoot, the, the key to wor- mm-hmm. the working memory is just having more of a conscious awareness around what you're doing at any given time, which is what I see clinically as a podiatrist, similar things with movement mm-hmm. from a physical point of view that if people sort of lose that conscious awareness around how they're trying to stand or what sort of activating or how they're moving, then you can start to lose the mm-hmm. or fall back into bad habits and lose the physical benefits too. So it sounds like both physical and mentally, it's all about having that conscious awareness around what you're doing and, and really being aware of or trying to get activate different parts of the body, including the brain, through movement. So Exactly. Yeah, that's a great tip. (laughs) Is this something that's only for adults or will being barefoot also help children improve their working memory? And and that's a fantastic question. I haven't done the study with children, but we do know that, you know, the prefrontal cortex, again, that's the home of working memory, the front of your brain. So if you, uh, if your listeners would like to place their hand on their front of their forehead, that's you know, right behind there is your prefrontal cortex, your, your working memory. And we do know that that part of the brain continues to develop, to develop right up to our 20s. And mm. so you could suggest that they, that they would even notice even more benefits because the brain is still growing and engaging. And that could be something that would, those results may be maintained over a longer period of time because of, you know, they're right in that developmental period. So I guess my next step is to, get down to the local schools and, and start showing them this mm-hmm. research to uh, show them the importance of getting yeah, kids, yeah. kids' shoes off, both physically and mentally. 
There's a, a new fresh <laughs> yeah, argument <exactly>. for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in the U.S., a lot of the schools have a program called the 100 Mile Club where they encourage um, they encourage their students to run 100 miles over the course of school year. And it sounds wow. impossible, but some of these kids, you know, they'll they'll clock 200 miles even. Um, the, you know, the overachievers, they're really out there putting in those miles. But uh, that would be a great time. And because it's on a track, they could take their shoes off or even wear minimal shoes if they're more comfortable with that to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. I know that... Um, I've seen, you know, kids sometimes wear those sock sole shoes, like sometimes babies do, you know, those little leather uh, yep. sock sole shoes. That would be a great, you know, that would be a great way too, to um, have that transition if, if a parent wasn't so comfortable having the child be completely barefoot in a, in a, on a track, for example. They could try, like you're suggesting, minimal shoes, Paul, or these sort of possible moccasins as well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they could even uh, be playing games, like even at home with, with your kids, like putting oh, yeah. chips yeah. on the ground, like you said, and, and playing games where yeah. you have to run and, yeah. and hit the chips and just, I guess we can be a bit more active, yeah, yeah even at home, to, to turn it into a bit more mm-hmm. of a game, a bit yeah. more fun to, to try and improve not only our working memory but our, our kids' um, working memory as well. Working memory is obviously a, a pretty complex area. I'm, I'm sure it's not just about getting barefoot and moving because I, I do that a fair bit and my memory is still pretty terrible. So, what other aspects? <laughs> <laughs> what other aspects are there uh, to working memory, and what can negatively affect our working memory? Um, yeah, that's a great question. What, one of the things that you know, in my own research, I've looked at in my research lab, are things like stress and anxiety. So, for mm. example, we could have an average working memory, but uh, through chronic stress, for example, or chronic um, anxiety, that can actually minimize the space that we have in our working memory to be able to process information. But conversely, I've also found in my lab that a little bit of stress and a little bit of acute pain can help us kind of switch and make better working memory type decisions. Um, To give you an example, what we do in our lab is give people really highly dramatic dilemmas like philosophical dilemmas like you know a train has gone off the track some people are going to die but you can flip a switch uh you know minimize the losses what will you do and we found that when people would count backwards they would engage in a working memory task by counting backwards and sixes from 100 so 94 88 82 and so on that that switched the switch in their brain as well from making an emotional decision, which is to say, oh, I can't, I can't do this. It's too, it's too difficult to making a more objective, rational, what we call the cold decision. Mm. And so I, you know, when I, when I give talks to, I've, I've uh, been recently speaking to Fortune 500 companies as well. And one of the big things I say to them is if you are faced with a tough decision and you're finding it difficult to have that objectivity, count backwards from a hundred, um, you know, in sixes, and that can kind of switch your brain to using because you're overloading working memory, it's kind of forcing your brain away from your amygdala, the emotional center of your brain, into more of the objective working memory, rational side of your brain. Mm, very interesting. And a great, um, great bit of advice there to, if you are feeling stressed and make a decision, <laughs> get your shoes off, go for a run and yes. start counting backwards by sixes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or do them both at the same time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you mentioned stress. How many anxiety can negatively affect our working memory? Is there anything else that mm-hmm. we need to be aware of that, that could be affecting us negatively in this space? Um, 
sure. I mean, actually, in the working memory advantage, I talk about a lot of positive things that we can boost working memory. It, it does decline as we get older, just like any form of memory, although the decline is not as steep as we may have thought. It actually it, it stays relatively well uh, preserved, but but there is some decline. So we in the book, uh, there's lots of tips for, for your listeners if they're interested about the kinds of foods that research has shown can boost working memory. Mm. Um, so the opposite of that, you know, would actually harm working memory. And there's research showing that uh, high fat foods, as in negative fats, bad fats, can harm working memory. There was a longitudinal study done with school children, and they looked at the different kinds of food. They ate fast food versus, uh, you know, more healthy options of food and found that over a five-year period, their IQ and working memory score had declined considerably uh, for those yeah, right. in the fast food eating category. Um, no surprise there. <laughs> no. But, um, so, but things like blueberries, for example, improve working memory. Dark chocolate, so 70% cocoa solids and higher, have also been found to uh, improve working memory. So I believe... You guys are heading into your, is it your, you're heading into your spring season, is that right? Yeah, so we're in spring now, we'll be heading into summer soon, so blueberries okay. and chocolate it is. Yeah, so some of, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and if uh, some of your listeners, you know, are still enjoying hot chocolate to, to warm up in the evening, make it with uh, milk and an actual dark chocolate square instead of a, a pre-made mix, and okay. that would be a great way to enjoy hot chocolate as well as getting a little working memory benefit, so uh, those are some some tips as well that uh, are included in my book. Fantastic. So if you, you want to find out more, make sure you jump on um, that website. So again, it's www.tracyalloway.com. And yeah, I'm sure you can buy all the books on there too, can't you, Tracy? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. on the uh, there's links to Amazon and uh, Amazon Australia, US, UK. But uh, the Amazon US link will pull up, but I'm sure you could you could find a local link too. Yeah, fantastic. I think there'll be lots of people wanting to jump on and and, and find out more about this, especially the food side of it. I think that's really uh, important mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well, especially for those who do Definitely. have kids, because we want to make sure we're making mm-hmm. um, you know the best decisions we can uh, for ourselves, but also also our kids. So thank you so exactly. much for for all your amazing work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic the science and the research that you're putting out there is awesome and we're learning so much from it and and thank you for taking the time out to discuss some of this uh, with us today and if you'd like to learn more once again go to www.tracyalloway.com and if people want to connect with you on social media where can they find you tracy Uh, i'm on instagram tracy p alloway and that's P for Packham, Tracy P. Alloway on Instagram. I have a public Facebook page, uh, Tracy Packham Alloway, and I'm also on Twitter as Tracy P. Alloway. And uh, as Paul can tell you, I'm, I'm very active on social media and I'd love to be able to connect with some of your listeners. And thank you again, Paul, for this great opportunity to get a chance to share about uh, some of the exciting research and working memory. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.